Hi everyone, thanks for joining us for our Lean Startup webcast. Today's topic is turning an experiment into a lifestyle brand. I'm Felicia Chenko, Production Manager of Lean Startup Company. This webcast is part of a series featuring speakers from Lean Startup Week, happening October 31st to November 6th in San Francisco. Please visit leanstartup.co for more information. Matt Breimer co-founded General Assembly, where he leads global partnership and business development and social impact. And he is the co-founder of Daybreaker, a global community and lifestyle brand producing conscious morning experiences around the world. Aubrey Smith is the founder of an innovation strategy consulting firm and is an esteemed Lean Startup coach and faculty member. A few housekeeping notes. We'll be taking questions from the audience via the live chats. If you'd like to ask a question, please flag it by starting with a Q colon before your question. This is a 45-minute program, and the recording will be available after this live webcast. Take it away, Aubrey and Matt. Thanks, Felicia. Welcome, everyone, and thank you, Matt, for joining us. So today, we are joined by, I think, a very appropriate guest for Cinco de Mayo, Matt Breimer, co-founder of General Assembly and now the wildly successful lifestyle brand, Daybreaker. If you've not joined him at a Daybreaker party, or, or like me, daybreaking away with a band of toddlers instead of cool people like him, Daybreaker in a nutshell is a, sub, a sober early morning dance party, or more precisely, a community of early risers that choose to dance their faces off before work to or to feel gloriously healthy while doing so. All very good and well. But if you're wondering what I was a couple months ago, Matt, sorry to say this, is that really a company? Is that really a movement? The answer is yes, I think. Most of your morning parties across the globe are sold out. You're present in more than 10 cities, which is amazing. And you form some really major partnerships with lifestyle brands, which I'm sure you'll talk about. But Matt, let's kick this off with a very serious topic, your Cinco de Mayo plans. I'm dying to know. I have a sneaking suspicion you and your daybreakers have beat us all to the party. What, what does a day like today look like for you? Sure. So um, yeah, this morning we had uh, 700 people in New York uh, show up over 700 actually, over, um, show up in uh, Irving Plaza, which is one of the biggest concert venues in New York City, right in Union Square, for a Daybreaker 90s edition um, in celebration of, uh, of Cinco de Mayo. And it was, I think we sold it out last week. Um, it was incredible. It was one of the most high energy um, morning Daybreakers that we've ever done. Uh, it concluded with a team uh, Backstreet Boys choreographed dance, which was, which was pretty amazing. <laughs> I'm quite jealous. <laughs> so I think I think I'm gonna lay low tonight and chill. You know, after this morning. <laughs> awesome. What time did that start? So we kick off. We kicked it off at 6 a.m. Uh, we do an hour of yoga or fitness um, for usually a couple hundred people, and then the full dance party for everyone else happens from 7 to 9 a.m. with kind of a concluding ceremony. We actually had an astronaut um, who had done four spacewalks in the 90s um, speak uh, as as kind of like the final the final touch point. So it was a pretty special morning. Okay, that's awesome. Um, um, so, in the spirit of Lean Startup, really, you've described that Daybreaker started kind of like an experiment in 2013, and you had a hypothesis. Mm -hmm. I'd love you, for you to talk about what that hypothesis was, and then I'd love to talk about how you went from kind of couch conversation about an idea then to kind of a live experiment. So let's start with kind of your uh, original idea. What was that? Sure. So the original idea was. Um, you know, just one of these things that that just kind of you know comes to you. Um, you know, we, we we really it was really an art project and it was a social experiment when we started Daybreaker. You know, we didn't have an intention to say oh, from the very beginning this is going to become a business, this is going to become a startup, this is going to you know employ a bunch of people around the world. Um, it was really this concept of um, looking at the the I think two things. One, kind of somewhat being inspired by Burning Man and seeing 
um, what's possible in terms of human creativity and in self-expression and in openness and in creating an environment that allows people to become like more fulfilled versions of themselves and somewhat being inspired by that. But then also looking at, I think, like the problems and the negativity and the exclusivity and all the kind of bad negative things um, that surround typical nightlife. And um, especially in New York City, you know, a lot of traditional nightlife in New York is, you know, self-destructive behavior, mean people, um, belligerent individuals, mean bouncers, drugs and alcohol, late nights, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and yet, at the end of the day, pretty much everyone still loves to dance and loves music if in the right environment. And so the concept is really just, you know, after a few conversations I was having with my friend Rada, we thought, hey, you know, why does nightlife have to have all these negative aspects? You know, there's already nightlife, but what, where, maybe there's the more, where, where's their morning life? What if we could take out all the negative aspects of, of um, the nightclub and the nightlife and what you'd normally associate with a typical dance party, take out all the negatives, bring in much more positives, and rather than have it be at the end of the night um, how you end your day, what if we could create an experience of how, how you start your morning? And mornings, think about the morning, um, the morning is a typically like untouched time. It's this empty space. It's a typically pretty boring, pretty routine, monotonous time. Maybe if you're diligent, uh, you, you hit the gym and you do something productive, but it's still probably pretty routine, or else you hit the subway or hop in the, the bar or something and, um, and just go to work with a cup of coffee. And so we thought, well, what if we could create the most amazing possible morning experience to start off your day? What would that be? We thought, well, it should probably be a dance party. And then we just kind of kept riffing on that, on that concept. And um, the first event was really an experiment. You know, we, we spent maybe one or $2,000 in all, um, broke even, um, hoped that people would show up for it. This was December of 2013. It was snowing um, in, the, in the basement of a little diner called Coffee Shop in Union Square, for those of you who are familiar. Um, 180 people showed up, and it, it worked. You know, it kind of validated the concept. So we decided to keep doing more and continue growing the experiment. So, I mean, we're, you know, I've bemoaned nightlife in New York for decades or a decade or more. And I have not gotten myself to kind of go out and actually try to test something in reality. But you're a tester. What is the kind of ethos of that? How do you take that kind of just initial seed idea and put into action a real live test and then build a company off of it? So you're, you, you've got your first test. Mm -hmm. Everybody shows up. It's a wild success. But then what? How does that become the next steps of a global company that's now growing with partnerships with brands like Nike? Sure, sure. Um, so a couple of things. One, before we even launched our first event, before we threw our, our first morning experience, um, Rod and I sat down and we came up with five core values. Um, and these are actually somewhat inspired by the... Um, by the 10 principles of Burning Man. But we came up with five core values that we thought, okay, no matter what Daybreaker becomes, we don't know what it's going to become. We have this experiment, we kind of have an idea, but who knows what it'll grow into. It could be a total failure, and then it doesn't matter, or it could be something huge and big and long-lasting and a phenomenon, in which case it, the values do matter. And so we decided, all right, we're going to come up with five values, and those five values were, um, in no particular order, camaraderie, self-expression, wellness, mindfulness and mischief. And so the, we thought, okay, these are going to be our, our North Star. No matter what this is, any new product we launch, any new event we run, any decision, which is strategic decision we make, any of, our, any of our marketing copy, any of the you know website we put out, whatever it is, everything needs to be pointing toward these values. And if, if something that we're doing is not in the direction of these values, then it's off. 
You know, like, let's start with that value, start with that mission, and we'll go from there. And then, you know, we kind of kept that as, like, our, um, our guiding principle, guiding light. And so we did the first event, and it was, as again, it was an experiment. Luckily, when you produce experiences and you do events, if you, if you structure them right, um, they don't require a lot of upfront capital, especially if you sell tickets. Um, you know, you can maybe put up some capital for venue or talent or whatever, but the first event we, it was basically break-even. So we said, okay, we didn't lose money. That's good. Yeah, um, that's good. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's do another one, you know, and we'll learn. We'll figure out what, we'll get feedback. We did a survey. We asked all of our friends what works, what didn't, what did you like, what didn't you like. We kind of refined the model and the skeleton, and we threw another one. Um, and we had more people come. We encouraged people to tell their friends. We actually avoided press for the first six mm -hmm. months of... Um, of Daybreaker's existence for the first like you know six events or something because we really wanted to keep the community tight and build up like a tight seed of an audience friends friends of friends influencers make sure that we were building a, a core of like true believers true fanatics if you will people who are really into this and their friends and their friends and we knew that once press hit it would get that big splash but it would kind of potentially like once we knew that we had something that we didn't want the 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 core community to be um, crowded out with, with like, you know, people who are just there to, for, to do a bucket list or for people who are kind of tourists, so to speak. Oh, well, check this thing out. You know, we knew that we had something special and we needed to keep the momentum and the inertia until we got to the point where we said, okay, the community is strong enough, the experience is tight enough that when newcomers start coming in because of press and, the, and wider um, kind of mass understanding of this thing, mass awareness of this thing, that it's not going to impact or detriment uh, the core essence and the core community and the core like early adoptership of, of what this is. So what was that? So what kind of indicated that to you? I mean, and I know it's probably not an easy thing to quantify, but was there a metric you were looking for? Was there a qualitative aspect of kind of what you were doing that kind of signaled to you that you were on the right track? Sure. So... Um, so one of our um, one of our one of our KPIs at all of our events, especially early on, um, that we always look at to gauge uh, the the effectiveness and the success of the event, um, one of those key metrics is actually the number of smiles on the dance floor, and that Love might sound, that might sound silly, but um, awesome. but if you literally look around and say like, all right, I'm gonna pick like a window with my hand, something like look at this box of people in the audience, you know, within a 10 second period, how many of those people have like a big grin on their face, and if it's low, um, then like the the party is not the right vibe. It's not it's not daybreaker enough. We we're doing something wrong. But if it's if we see like a lot of smiles per per capita, you know what I mean? Within yeah, a, I a, an audience, that means like okay, we're creating positivity. We're creating joy. You know, the mission of daybreaker is about transforming um, people's days, giving them positivity and spirit, and allowing them to connect and basically become better versions of themselves through really transformational experiences. And there's a lot of positivity and joy that we want to imbue into people. So that's one. Um, the other is, you know, more traditional things like retention. Um, how many people are coming back? How many people is at the end of the event? Um, we say how many people have been to Daybreaker before versus how many people are new. We try to keep it at about 50-50. Um, huh. If you're too high, if you have too many people returning and, and too low of a proportion new, then you might not be growing your audience. And maybe this yep. is maybe you've hit your max potential. But then if it's actually too, if it's the other direction, if it's too low. Um, it means that like people are not returning. It wasn't a, a great enough of an experience. You know, maybe your NP. We're now tracking NPS and all of our events. That's, sure. a, that's a big yeah, thing. yeah. So those are that's those awesome. Are
I love it because I work with a lot of companies and particularly in enterprises when you're going to market with a, a product that really is an unknown marketplace where you you know the morning you're changing behavior entirely mm -hmm. your metrics are going to be wildly different you have to invent metrics so most people are actually quite reticent to do that so mm -hmm. I think that's that's wild how did you get there I mean how do you how do you talk to your team about smiles <laughs> um, you know, so we always we always have um, we always have like a recap uh, brunch after every day breaker where we have our whole team and our DJ and our kind of core talent and some of our um, performers and volunteers. We always spend an hour or so after the event recapping when everything is fresh in our minds, and we go through everything. And we're, we're you know, I mean, I've been building community and producing kind of transformational experiences or experiences that move people forward in some way for you know pretty much all of my adult you know career, and so. Everyone on our team is really, really thoughtful about looking at every aspect of the experience. You know, one of the things I talk about a lot is, you know, there's there's, there's UX, of course, um, but you and typically people would think about UX. It's it's what happens here on a little glowing mm -hmm. screen. We think about you know experience design. It's about the lighting. It's about the check-in flow. It's about the coat check. It's about the smiles and the dance floor. It's about the music and the vibe and the, and how people leave and how many people like receive hugs on their way in. Um, and how the, the, the kind of run of show happens is this whole 360 experiential um, aspect that we have to look at. And so we re we're very, very diligent about going through basically the whole run of show and going through all aspects of the event afterward and talking about every everything. And so there's always fun insights to hear from the team, little little epiphanies, little realizations. They don't always come from me. come from different people. You know, one of the things that one of our team members said recently that we use constantly is um, Daybreaker doesn't sell a product, we sell a feeling. You know, it's not about what you see necessarily on stage or the music you hear. It's how you feel by the end. You know, so what we want to look at, another metric is we, we kind of look and observe the crowd on their way in. Typically, you know, it's 7 a.m. People haven't had their first cup of coffee yet. They maybe have never been to one of these things before. They have no idea what's going on. They're kind of groggy. They're a little nervous maybe. They haven't been. And we compare that snapshot to what happens at the end and how people look and feel and their kind of physical vibe on the way out. Are they still smiling? Are they exuberant? Are they like mm -hmm. chatty? Are, are they woken up? Are they feeling amazing and positive to go into their day? Awesome. Um, so what is what are the elements of your Daybreaker experience now and how, how has that changed over the last couple of years? Mm -hmm. So you talked so, about some cool 90s experiences today. What are yeah. kind of across the globe, what, do you, what are you guys doing? Yeah, yeah. So um, all of our events have, have themes now, which we find is, is important. You know, we're doing... We're producing daybreakers now, like you know, it depends on the month, but approximately like ten events a month around the world, across you know ten ten cities. Wow. Um, you know, in New York, we do events every you know one to two weeks. In other cities, we're we're more like once a month. Um, but uh, we found that you know having a strong theme makes a big difference. That differentiates each experience and gets people to return. Um, we're very very thoughtful and conscious of the music and of what the DJs playing. They can just kind of DJs that we curate. Um, we're also very conscious of Daybreaker really being in some ways like an immersive theater experience. It's really a production, it's a show. Uh, and we keep it tight, like every 10 to 15 minutes, something different is happening. And we have a script, so we have a whole run of show that we send it to everyone, and every 10 to 15 minutes in the script is, okay, now the saxophones come out. You know, now um, <laughs> we release the, cry the cryo tanks or something, or now like the, you know, we threw out, we threw out um, uh, the snap bracelet, or we gave out snap bracelets to everyone that you remember from the 90s today, or we throw yep. out beanie babies in the crowd. And it's like we, we <laughs> have these experiential elements that are different each time, but they're very scripted and, and are part of the, the whole whole experience. Um, 
we also find that having a strong closing ceremony that brings everyone down and kind of grounds people with like somewhat of a meditative, con contemplative um, 15 minutes is a really important thing. So after you're kind of adventuring in the dance floor, hopping around, super high energy, to take the final 15 minutes to sit down and, um, and give people kind of uh, a little talk or acoustic performance or some closing words that allows people to like let it sink in and then they and then it kind of like brings them back into reality and then they take that inside and then go into their day. That's quite quite incredible. I mean, there's no detail spared here. I mean, in some ways it sounds like you've learned quite a bit about kind of the idea of changing people's lives, but also doing that in a series of kind of events or different types of experiences. And I imagine some of that came from your experience at General Assembly. Mm -hmm. Kind of where in your kind of in your career how have you used your learning through the, the path of General Assembly to, to kind of build Daybreaker? Sure, very good question. I would say two, two big areas come to mind. One is just the power of um, intentional community and transformational experiences. So by intentional community, I mean um, community, uh, communities of people who are coming together because they share a common purpose or a common cause and they are interested in spending time with each other. So let's say it's a high school or a neighborhood. I'm going to call those intentional communities because those are community. Those are communities, you know, people spend time and engage and have friendships and relationships and support each other. But they're in some ways communities of convenience. You know, they just are the, the group of people that so happen to live there. Um, whereas intentional communities like a daybreaker or general assembly or a certain kind of festival or um, certain groups, they're people coming together not because of their geography necessarily or because their color of their skin or any of those kind of more shallow level things, but because they believe and they participate in some sort of common value or common theme. And we saw that at General Assembly, people coming together to care about their careers, they cared about learning new skills, they cared about transforming their careers for the better, they cared about um, never stop, they didn't want to stop learning just because college was over, and they wanted to pursue the skills and the inspiration that would make them relevant in the 21st century. And so at Daybreaker, it's people coming together because they want to live life differently. They want to start off their day in a really powerful way. They want to self-express. They want to be creative. They want to find like-minded people who are open and kind-hearted and you know, can feel something awesome together. You know, so that's a very, very powerful thing when you do it writ large. Um, and then the other aspect of that, of course, is transformational community, or sorry, transformational experience. You know, I think, I think in-person physical experience is not given enough credit in today's world, and yet is becoming increasingly important in, I think, consumers' mind share. You know, we're, we're spending so much of our time online, so much of our time on these things. Um, you know, my, my, my girlfriend will, 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 will uh, often, you know, make comments that I'm spending too much time on my phone, and it's probably true. Um, and it's a really good reminder, you know, this thing is buzzing constantly. It's always demanding our attention. And the more that we put our lives online, I think the more that, we actually seek and crave truly meaningful, truly like special in-person experiences where we're not on our phone, we're not on our computer, and we can come together as people to have something that blows the doors off, you know, and that really is memorable. That like hits like the nine or ten in the NPS score that you remember and you want to tell people about, rather than like the oh yeah, it was fine, but it was just part of my day. You know, people want like really powerful special experiences. I think you're seeing that across the board. I mean, with General Assembly. The, the, the parallel there is we found that um, you know, a lot of investors, a lot of people were, were saying, you know, hey, the future of education is online. You know, what are you doing building these offline campuses, doing in-person education? And 
at General Assembly, we actually do are doing a lot of online education now, and we're expanding in that in that way in a, in a big way, so we can reach people who are outside of our metro, our 15 metro areas. But turns out, you know, when people are learning very difficult things and they're changing their careers and they're changing their lives and they're moving into new professions, learning how to code, what have you, turns out when they're learning hard stuff like that, they like to be around people. You know, who would have thought, right? Um, and I think sometimes we forget that in our digitally focused age. Um, but creating an environment, creating a space with real people interacting with each other, sharing that kind of camaraderie, there's a certain social, you know, je ne sais quoi, if you will, that comes with sharing experience together, motivating each other in person, being able to ask someone a question um, that, that you can't find online. You know, and it's a very powerful thing that I think has translated both well for GA and, and also well for Daybreaker. Well, how have you kept, I mean, so that's actually, the whole idea of, Technology being um, exponential for companies like yours, GA, mm -hmm. is is real. Most, I'm sure, of your investors are are interested in your your technology. How do you keep your company kind of grounded or, and and focused on not just technology? I imagine that's somewhat hard on a day to day basis. Sure, sure, um, and especially if you want to hit you know exponential growth, right? It's hard to do that with brick and mortar, right. you know. Right. Um, so you need technology to grow and to reach those those large numbers for sure. Um, and we are building a lot of like our, our we have the whole enterprise education um, department that does a lot of corporate trading and you know can you talk a little bit about that for people who might not know I mean I, I'm familiar yeah, sure. but talk about sure. what who you're working with and, and the like that'd be great sure so um we work with you know a good um, pretty sizable uh, proportion of the Fortune 500 now and basically what we do is um, we'll work with these larger organizations to help them with change management digital skills acquisition um, helping them think through entrepreneurial leadership. And it's not consulting, um, but it's it's um, kind of transformational education for organizations. So you might be a big company and you have 500 marketers and you've been around for 50 years and you realize, oh, there's this internet thing and um, and every we can't have a chief we digital. Be in it. <laughs> we, we can't have a chief digital officer who just like owns the digital. Like digital is this thing that just needs to live horizontally across the entire organization. Everyone in the company needs to understand digital, understand how that works. So we need to take all these 500 marketers and make sure that they all become digital marketers. But how do you do that? Most corporate training and online training for organizations is not particularly good. Um, and so what we've done is, you know, General Assembly started by building our consumer brand and our consumer um, uh, uh, expertise and curriculum across our campuses. And everyone who teaches at General Assembly is a practitioner. They're not a professor who studies a field. They're a practitioner who does whatever they're teaching for a living. Um, so they're experts at, at, at doing this. And so all the curriculum we build in-house, and we work with employers and work with the practitioners to do it. Um, but basically what we're able to do is we're able to take that curriculum and that understanding of what makes a really powerful, really strong, and, and, um, and practical, and outcome-oriented, most importantly, educational experience. Not just, okay, here's a piece of paper, here's a certificate, but what can take you from A and get you to B so that you have new skills that you can immediately put into practice in your job. And we started by doing that offline, right? learning what, how that works. And by really figuring out how learning works most effectively, how outcomes-oriented education works most effectively offline, it actually gave us a fantastic foundation to then translate that into the online educational products that we've built. So, you know, I mean, in some businesses, it's the other way. They start with online and they try to translate it offline. We started with offline, figured out what works in person, and then, all right, now that it's time to scale, now that we want to do blended learning models, now that we want to do online education models, we can take the curriculum and the learning styles and, and the experience and figure out how to translate that online in a, in a 
in a broader context that we can reach you know millions of people around the world who might not live in one of our metro areas where we have one of our 15 campuses. So kind of what did that traction look like? So I love that you painted that picture of kind of these brick and mortar you know experiences before going online but what did your growth kind of look like from your early communities and really community was the foundation of GA as I understand it and then building you know a broader global education company? Yeah, um, a long learning process for sure. Two days, uh, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, we've been I've been working on Journal Summit now for six years. Uh, wow. we, we, we launched our first campus in New York City um, as a, a community hub for the startup scene in New York City, as well as a, um, that had like co-working a selective co-working membership model that had um, uh, social events and hackathons and, and kind of social interaction and that also had shared learning experiences and, and um, kind of early the, early, the earliest stages of of this kind of outcome-oriented practitioner-led education that we operate now. And, and again, you know, speaking to the experiment aspect, like it was very much an experiment. When we first started, we thought, all right, let's create a hub for the New York startup community and see what happens. We hit that point, we're like, wow, this is working. We realized, you know what, we actually have a much bigger vision here. This isn't just about creating a hub and a nucleus for all these people to come together and learn from each other and to socialize from each other and to collaborate with each other, but we actually could potentially be creating like and could create a whole new educational institution, you know, that's relevant to the, this this millennium, this this new, um, you know, this new that economy. That so. your original in your original kind of construct of the company. That wasn't in your mindset. It was was it? I'm just right. Curious. So that's what I'm saying. So the original, yeah, yeah. original, you know, vision 1.0 when we first started yeah. that first experiment was let's create just a, a community hub, one campus in New York that combines co-working education, social events, and um, hopefully like in a strong brand, which is crucial, and stir it all up and kind of like hopefully create some magic out of it. And we thought, okay, we're, you know, we'll, we'll structure the you know, financial model so that right, at least this thing will pay for itself and it'll be a nice foundation for us to do whatever other next thing we want to do. And it just started to work so well, and especially the education aspect started to work so well, that we were, you know, we're trying out... Um, that we were trying out classes and workshops, and we actually, you know, learned early on. We brought in. We thought, okay, we'll have some of our classes be practitioner-led. We'll have practitioners that nobody knows by name, but who are good at what they do. We'll have them teach some classes, and then we'll have some professors from big-name universities like Columbia and NYU come in and teach the future of media or history of the internet or something like that. Mm -hmm. that we'll use the big names plus the the kind of practice aspect, and between the two, of that that'll be the secret sauce. Turns out, a few months in, um, nobody was showing up at the kind of more academic, um, you know, more more kind of professorial, um, maybe more intellectual uh, classes, and people were just coming in, in droves to the practitioner-led, more like skills-oriented classes and workshops. So what we discovered is like, wow, there's this whole there's this whole skills gap. And we learned this once we were just doing it. We just had to start doing it because the original hypothesis of university professor meets practi practitioner, that's the gold. That wasn't the gold. Half, there's half of it. So we then doubled down in the practitioner uh, aspect of what we were doing. It was, okay, people are, as adults, you have limited time, you're looking to build your career, you want to grow, you want to level up, you want to change your profession or start a company or um, or get a promotion, or be better at what you do, and so you really are coming 
when you want to learn stuff, it needs to be practical. It needs to be useful. It needs to be relevant. It needs to be taught by people who are in the industry um, because that's where the expertise is. You know, so much of the, what we teach is not taught in universities at all. You know, here's where um, maybe traditional university or traditional college leaves off, and then here's where the 21st century begins. And, you know, for the most part, college universities are about staying the same in terms of what they're offering. Whereas the 21st century, in terms of what employers are demanding and what um, you need to be successful skills-wise in today's digital economy, is moving this way fast. Which means that there's this big skills gap between when you graduate from college and the whole rest of your life and your career in the digital economy. And as we all know, especially when listening to this, to this session, technology moves so fast and, and employers evolve their needs and companies evolve their needs. So this, you should never be done learning. You should always be learning. Your education should always be in beta. And so now, as we think about the future of General Assembly, we want General Assembly to be an educational institution and a community at its core. Still, still the community piece has never left. Like That's always been the core. Um, we want it to be an educational institution and a community that is always relevant for you and that you can come back to to take a class, to take a workshop, maybe to teach a class, maybe to hire a graduate from, maybe to work with us, partner with us in some way for the rest of your life and the rest of your career. But it means that we need to evolve too as new programming languages are invented and as the world moves forward we always need to stay current as well. I think a lot of people assume that your base of customers by need are kind of millennials who want to get into coding, you know, change careers. Is that kind of true or are there, um, is that need kind of cross segments in our, you know, in our world these days? Yeah, so, um, so we've always, it's an interesting thing, right? Um, because, you know, you see companies fail that try to do too much too soon, try to be, you know, ma master of all trades, um, but then it being jack of all trades, a master of none, right? And so what we decided was we're going to focus our, our relevance, general civic relevance and expertise on basically kind of the combination of three big areas, technology, design, and business. And if something wasn't within those, those realms, you know, it's probably not for us or not, um, not something we want to focus on because we want to be experts and really provide a lot of value in those, in those fields. So um, that also is, you know, you could, is, is true in terms of, Psychographic and demographic, I would say like the, the top of the bell curve, right, the kind of our biggest chunk of audience tends to be people in their 20s and 30s who are um, early to mid maybe in their careers and they're looking to level up. They're looking for skills that will make them more relevant. Um, maybe they don't exactly know their path yet. Maybe they haven't found their passion yet or their purpose yet. And General Assembly is a place to find, to be, get inspired, to connect with like-minded individuals, to find opportunities, to have serendipitous encounters which is a whole separate conversation, um, and to learn those practical, and to learn those practical skills that you can kind of move forward and level up in your career. At the same time, so that's like our bread and butter. Um, at the same time, you know, we do, and we've had seventy-year-olds take some of our web development immersives and, and you know what other companies might call boot camps, um, which is amazing, you know. And we've had we've had younger folks do it as well. Um, but it's good to know, like, who's your core audience? Who are you really making a difference for? Um, in the largest sense, and you know, we're, we're also kind of exploring other audiences around around that. Um, cor their corporate education or, or enterprise education business is a good one that started as, you know, just a small project. You know, is kind of part of our business development part, um, business development team, and it's now grown to this whole corporate training model. And what's interesting now, it's now it's actually all coming full circle because 
as students graduate from one of our immersives, whether it's user experience design, Android development, web development, these are three-month-long approximately programs that take you from zero to employability. All these people coming into these programs, not, no, most, are looking for jobs. They're looking for new employment, a totally new field that they haven't you know, really been involved with before General Assembly. And they need to work with employers. And guess who employs a lot of developers, a lot of UX designers, a lot of um, you know, people who we, who we graduate, um, but large companies and employers who we're working with on the biz dev side, we're working with on the training side. So from an employer's perspective, General Assembly is really like a source of talent, an amazing talent solutions company, both for training their internal employees and also being a source of really diverse and interesting talent. It's not coming through your typical CS departments. Then it's not coming just through your Ivy League schools, but people coming from all walks of life, all backgrounds, all ethnicities, saying, I'm going to get into tech, I'm going to get into design, I'm going to get into business or entrepreneurship. General Assembly is a way I can do that without going back to college and this can be my new lease on life, my new career path. And so the employers now are a big, big part of our audience and our kind of customer base, if you will. Um, and we don't charge any recruiting fees. You know, there's no like placement fees. We don't do that. But there is this like important connection between employers and our students because jobs and employment is the like the biggest value that we can create for people. It's not about giving people a piece of paper. It's about creating real outcomes and opportunities for them. Um, that are tangible and, and that move their lives forward. I mean, I hate to be hokey here, but in some ways it's really the new American dream. I mean, if you can come to GA and get a skill set and then go back to you know employers in six months and get a job, that's, yeah. that's incredible. So I am I'm in awe. Um, so let me start some questions from the audience because we have quite a few coming in. Cool. One of them is about GA. So how do you guys choose what classes to feature at GA? Um, is it research-based? What skills or topics are relevant to your community? Very good question. Um, so we look at we look for a few things. Um, one, we see okay, is this? So let's say we we get an idea, or you know, someone suggests something, or we see a little bit of interest. Uh, what is is this particular field, this topic, relevant to what we teach? Um, is if it's truck driving? Not yet. You know, we're not we're not experts <laughs> in that. Uh, maybe then we'll see. You know, we really spend. Um, but like, that's not um, that's not our core competency, and so it's not really a brand fit or a curriculum fit or an expertise fit for us to play there. Right. Or if it's if it's something like you know Android development, right? We partner up with Google um, and are one of their exclusive education offline education providers to teach Android, which is awesome and that's great. Um, uh, so that's one. The other is we we look for. Um, we look for the we look for demand on the talent side. So we talk mm -hmm. to we have, we have a network of now thousands and thousands of employers, as I was saying, mm -hmm. who are hiring out of our um, out of our of our graduate pool, but also who are helping us in, in consulting or providing feedback and just kind of everything from just like quick spit tests to actually getting their hands deep in our in our curriculum development process um, with our learning team. And so we understand, okay, hey, you know, is this skill or this particular job in high demand? Are employers looking for um, for basket weavers, you know, in mass, maybe not. If not, then we don't want to teach it. However, um, you know, are you looking for junior web developers? Yes, everyone's looking for junior web developers. <laughs> everyone's looking for Android developers. Like, great tons of talent demand on the employer side, which means mm -hmm. great opportunities for students graduating out of these programs. Which means that's a good you know offering that we want to teach. Um, and then third is, is, you know, we have this now base of um, hundreds of thousands of students who participated in something of ours, whether an online class or an in-person workshop or a whole three-month-long immersive. 
and we have a great pulse of understanding right, what are we hearing a lot of. You know, um, and now we're operating at so much scale that if we're going to put the effort into building curriculum around a new course, we need to see interest from students. Um, we need to see demand from employers, and we need to see relevance to you know our existing expertise so that we have a space to play. Okay, and another piggybacking off of that, kind of where is GA going next? What are your kind of growth opportunities? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think I touched upon this partly, but um, really connecting the dots and and really building out this like holistic vision of education to employment, outcomes oriented education that is powered in and and powered by a community of incredible people around the world, a community that is not just you know coming in for a three month class, but we want our alumni community um, to last for you know decades, if not more. We want people to think about General Assembly as a part of their life forever. You know, as I said, your education should always be in beta. And so as we grow and as we build, most schools think of their student experience as like a four-year period or a two-year period. And for the rest of your life, you're an alumni, and then they just ask you for money all the time. Right? But that's, I'm familiar. I, that's the old model. You know, we can, we yeah. can be a relevant community. If, like if you find a relevant community and a relevant provider of inspiration and awesome skills that help you in your career and life, why would you ever leave? Right? Of course, you should always be involved in some capacity. And as you go through your career and your life, you know, it'll be will be involved in different capacities as your needs change over time. But we want to be relevant and helpful for people for the rest of their lives and have be an educational institution that's you know building a lifelong community. Um, but then the other aspect of that, as I said, is really kind of connecting the dots between employers and students and always seeing them as two sides of the same coin. You know, employers um, in this day and age with the future of education are so, so vital both in the curriculum development and the actual hiring. Um, employers benefit from good practical education, right? Because that practical education creates talent, turns individuals into amazing practitioners that then the employers benefit from because they hire these people. So the employers need to be involved in this educational process. They need, they need to have skin in the game. And as we see it, we're not just about, we can't be about students, we have to be about students and employers and think about this in a holistic picture and a holistic community, you know, because students who graduate also as they get hired and go on to grow their grow their careers, a lot of our students end up becoming entrepreneurs, you know, some portion of them, who then are starting companies and are employers themselves. You know, so that's the like larger holistic holistic vision. And down the line as a final thing, you know, we're also looking into other areas of expertise adjacent to what we do, you know, looking at um, you know, different some different things we can't announce just yet, but expanding beyond just kind of our existing technology design and business. Um, verticals once we feel like we're ready for it. Got it. So yeah, no, I work very closely with enterprises on this idea of talent and it's something that, you know, is is a true, true challenge for most really large companies that have been on the Fortune 500 for a good amount of time. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I can imagine that if you're wedging yourself in there that that's a sustainable advantage. How do you really truly get feedback from those companies? Um, is it through their, you know, you know, putting their money where their mouth is, or are you actively engaging them in a conversation on a regular basis? Yeah, so it's um, it's quite a number of ways. So we have a whole curriculum development team. Uh, you know, we have employer employer relations. We do a lot of in person events um, where we'll have conversations. We do a lot of focus groups. Um, we also have um, as we have a whole enterprise team that has hundreds and hundreds of enterprise clients, and our account managers there constantly talking to to them and you know, kind of um, getting ins little insights from them that we can then package up and, and share with other relevant 
um, parts of the team. And as I said, we're also doing a lot of online education now from for um, large companies, so we can see what managers are interested in, what the individual contributors of these companies are interested in, um, and we really also try to do a lot of research. Like we're very we're very plugged into to um, you know government partnerships, research partnerships, so that we can really always stay ahead of like early stay abreast of the data around talent and around jobs and around like where these things are going in the in the market, in the employer and talent market, and that gives us insights into you know where we should be going to. No, so no shortage of data. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah. You're well, then the challenge is just is just processing it and and right. turning it into useful insights and having it eventually come out to like, okay, well, now we're going to create this course and spread it around the world, you know? I mean, that in and of itself must be the rigor because, you know, data is rich, but using that data to actually drive action is where the challenge is. I, yeah, I can only, yeah, you know. right. Yeah. So, there's so, much, there's so much data, yeah. but it's all about, you know, making it more bite-sized. I could keep chatting with you <laughs> for a very long time. I have one specific request that came in sure. from the um, viewers, and that is, is Daybreaker going to come to Dallas? So, you know, there's people out there who obviously want this phenomenon yeah. in their city. Cool. How can they get that? Cool. Um, so we'd love to come to Dallas. Um, the first city in Texas we're coming to is Austin, and that will be um, later this year. So um, make, make the drive if you're up for it. Um, <laughs> so Austin, Austin will be first, but... You know, we we're aiming to be in probably around 15 cities by the end of this year. Um, Dallas is probably not on our radar for 2016, um, but definitely in consideration for 2017. Okay, awesome. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us after your wild party this morning. Um, I can't wait to join one of your parties, and I'm sure everyone else feels the same way. Uh, that's it for today. And if if um, you guys want to hear more from Matt, he will be joining us, or his team will be joining us at the Lean Startup Conference coming up this fall. Thanks very much, Matt, for your time. Absolutely. I enjoyed chatting with you today. Yeah, lots, lots more to discuss. Thank you. And thanks, <laughs> thanks everyone who, um, who tuned in. I appreciate you taking the time. And hopefully, it was somewhat educational and entertaining, possibly. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, cool. Thanks again. All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. This wraps up our show. Please join us again for the next one on June 2nd. In the meantime, visit leanstartup.co for more information on Lean Startup Week in San Francisco on October 31st to November 6th.